Amen. <clears throat> Maybe seated. Thank you. Worship team, thank you, thank you, thank you for that powerful time of worship. And it's a good day. It's a good day. I'm thankful for the opportunity to uh, gather right now to now look at the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and open it to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. If you don't know where Leviticus is, very beginning of the Bible, a few books into it. Um, if you um, don't have one with you and you don't want to use one, we will have all the words on the screen here for this morning. Um, as, as always during this time, if we were still uh, non-COVID passing um, our offering time of continuing to worship, uh, we would pass this out. You can feel free to give as the Lord leads you at the end of the gathering, um, or you can do it at homesavenue.com forward slash give uh, as we always do. If you want to do it that way, you're welcome to do that. But if you are with us for the first time today, or this is your first time in a while, uh, we are still continuing our journey through the book of Leviticus. Uh, Holy God, Holy People is our series that we are in. And throughout this series, we've been seeing how God has laid out the charge for his people, the church, to pursue holiness because he is holy and he deserves our worship. As you see there on the screen, the, the title for today's message is God's Mission, Our Utmost Priority. God's Mission, Our Utmost Priority. And what we have seen over the last couple of weeks, we have journeyed through chapter 8 two weeks ago, chapter 9 last week, and now we're in chapter 10 today. And in these three chapters, we've seen this establishment of the priesthood. Leading up to chapter 8, we had all of those chapters about the rituals, the way in which the sacrifices needed to be done, how they had to be done to a T, to bring the pleasing aroma to God, the way in which these people were offering these sacrifices to atone for their sin. And now we've come up to the part of chapter 8 and 9 where we have seen in chapter 8 the consecration of the priest, how they were set apart for the job in which God had called them to. And in chapter 9, last week, as Pastor Walter preached on God-pleasing worship, man, he preached a convicting word. But he preached a powerful word about this idea of bringing pleasing worship to God, this devoted time of worship unto the Lord because he is worthy of it. And what did we see there at the tail end of the chapter last week? We saw there at the very end how God provided the fire on the altar for the worship. It was a powerful moment, and all the people were in awe, and they fell on their face in worship to God. Now, I want to encourage you, looking at today's passage as we finish up this last bit about the priesthood, I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous two, you might want to go back at some point and listen just to understand context, a little bit more in-depth than what I just gave you in those cliff notes. But as we're looking at the passage today, this is the priestly mission that God has called them to, how the priests are to function in this. But ultimately, we need to look at it through the lens of it being God's mission, God's mission, because God is the one who sits sovereignly over the world. God is the one who is instilling and telling them and directing them. These are how you are to function. This is how you are to do these things. So it is his mission. Here we are in the book of Leviticus. 
We've already gone through, if you're reading through the Bible, you can see going through Genesis, the creation of the world and how everything is laid out, how we see sin first come into the world. We get into Exodus and we see the great Exodus that God does through the book of Exodus with Moses leading. And now we're into Leviticus and we're seeing how all of this is to be structured within the church. All of this, though, no matter where you are on the, the, the timeline, if you will, it's all a certain point on God's redemptive plan. God's redemptive plan started there at the beginning. When God tells Adam and Eve and the serpent and the, Satan in the form of the serpent in Genesis 3.15 that he's going to put enmity between the man and the woman, I mean, between Satan and the woman and the, her offspring is going to crush the head of Satan. All pointing to the day when Jesus Christ would die on Calvary's cross, defeating sin and death, resurrecting from the grave. Part of God's redemptive plan. All of it falls into God's plan. All of it is part of God's mission. Now, as we're looking through this, we've seen, especially in chapter 8 and 9, how the priests have obeyed what God has commanded. We see this obedience on display. Matter of fact, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, we saw how they did all that was commanded of them. It says that 12 different times. Beautiful to see that. And then, as I said, we saw the, the ending right there of chapter 9 last week where the worship takes place with the fire being brought down. Now, as we look at chapter 10 today, you may read it, you may say, whoa, what is, what, what is this about? Because what turns from a moment of obedience, immediately, as soon as we start 10, begins disobedience and comes some strong actions from God. Now, as we have been journeying through this, we, we haven't necessarily been standing to honor the reading of God's word because they have been some really long passages, but I would like to do that today because it's only about 20 verses. So if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Leviticus chapter 10. Starting at verse 1, the words are on the screen for you. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. When Moses called Mishael and Elsaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, and Moses, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation." But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning of the Lord that the Lord has kindled. Verse 7. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations." You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. 
You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for, for so I am commanded. Verse 14, but the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat it in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifice of the peace offering of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offering of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as they do forever as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary since it is the thing most holy and has been given to you to make bare the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, it is the blood. Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. Verse 19. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I have eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, now, Lord, as your word is proclaimed, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing unto you. Be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. All right. Very quickly. God's mission is carried out through his expectation of holiness, following his priorities, and must be attentively fulfilled. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first is this God expects holiness and disciplines disobedience. Now don't let that point scare you or freak you out. Listen as we talk. Verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Literally, as I said, the first thing that we see here in chapter 10 is disobedience to God. After we've seen this grand picture of what takes place there at the end of chapter 9, boom, disobedience takes place by the priest. We have Aaron, the great high priest, but his sons there in that moment do this. Nadab and Abihu were set apart by God to be mediators between God and the people. They were called to take hot coals of the main altar and use them to burn the perfumed incense in the handheld censer that they had. They were told, and you can go back and read all through chapters 1 through 8, we see how they as the priests are supposed to do things exactly as God commanded them because remember, they are providing the sacrifices before God on behalf half of the people. This is serious business. And they're told by God to do this. And instead of doing what they're supposed to do, they take their censers and offer this unauthorized, or another translation you may have may say strange, this unauthorized strange fire before the Lord. We have to remember that this incense that they're using, it's part of the tabernacle worship. 
The fire for the sacrifices had to come from the anointed altar in the central courtyard. Now, I've been referencing it the whole time since I've got up here. Sounded like a crazy man. But in Leviticus 9.24, it says this. Fire came down from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. We read that right at the end of last week. They shouted and fell on their faces because God had provided the means by which the sacrifices could be offered. Up until that point, we've read all of the descriptions of how the rituals are to take place, how these things are to be done. God has told them exactly what to do, yet they did not have the fire to make it happen. And God says, you need it, let me provide it. And he lays it out there for them on the altar. From heaven, he sends down the fire. God provided it exactly when they needed it. That'll preach on its own. Being unauthorized fire, having this unauthorized fire, it meant that it did not come from the source that is sanctioned by God. Now, we don't know why they decided to do this. Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us why they did it. To be honest, we don't necessarily need to know why they did it. The fact is that they did it. They might have had the best of intentions. They might have said, we, hey, we, we got to do this, so let's just grab this and try to do this. It didn't follow with what God wanted. And therefore, they were disciplined for it. Verse 2 tells us, fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. We see in this verse that God takes this offense very seriously, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes them. They die. Leviticus 8.35 tells us a little bit of a warning that Moses gave to them as the priest. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged so that you do not die, for so I have been commanded. Moses gave them warnings before. Follow what God is telling you to do, priest. You have been consecrated. You have been set apart for this. Follow God, be obedient to him so that you don't, you don't suffer the punishment. You may read this and think, man, that's harsh. I hear all this stuff about this God being a loving God, but man, that, that, is, that is harsh. He's, he's, he's killed them. He, he provided the fire to take them out. God is a loving God, but God is also a just God. Scripture tells us in the New Testament that the wages of sin is death. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin that came about in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned against God, it separates us from God. But as I said, God starts the redemptive plan in Genesis 3.15, promising of what is to come with Christ Jesus. And although the wages of sin truly is death and it separates us from God, we have one, the only one who can mediate for the sins of the world, Christ Jesus, that went to the cross of Calvary and took the sins of the world upon his shoulder. Paul tells us also in Romans that although we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. The beauty of the gospel on display through what Christ Jesus has done. 
But if you've been paying attention all through Leviticus, we've seen the pointing and the foreshadowing of the coming Messiah the entire time. Why does God allow for these sacrifices to even take place? He allows for mediation to take place with these sacrifices so that sin can be atoned for. They have to slaughter the animal, kill it, provide it on the sacrifice over and over and over again to make things right between them and God. But Christ Jesus came and did it once and for all, defeating sin and death because the wages of our sin is death. So in that moment, these priests in blatant disobedience before God, offering this strange fire, this unauthorized fire, and disobedience, it cost them their lives. These representation of God before the people, the ones that were to be there to represent God, they die for their sin. You imagine the scene? This fire comes down. We see this take place. It brings to mind the very important fact that we must remember. The wages of sin is death. For anyone who would not confess Christ Jesus as Lord and repent of their sin, they will be separated from God for all eternity. For those in Christ, we have the promise of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That fact alone should be the driving force behind our mission. That there are people that we know and that we love and that we care for that do not know Christ need to hear the message of the gospel. Verse 3 tells us, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. To sum up, what Moses tells Aaron is this, As a man gets closer to God, the more it is that he must pay attention to his holiness and to glorify God. Aaron's sons knew better than to offer that strange fire, yet they did it anyway. God will not allow his holiness to be violated. Calvin wrote this, If we reflect how holy a thing of God's worship is, the enormity of the punishment will by no means offend us. Besides, it was necessary that their religion should be sanctified at its very commencement. For if God had suffered the sons of Aaron to transgress with impunity, they would have afterwards carelessly neglected the whole law. This, therefore, was the reason for such great severity that the priest should anxiously watch against all profanation. We see at the tail end of verse 3 that Aaron is left silent. Aaron is left silent. He's literally just watched his son sin against God and they are dead. He's silent. He's grieving. He's witnessed what has happened. You may say, well, maybe he's fearful of something maybe happened to him if he does something wrong. Or maybe, just maybe, being the high priest, he is discerned just how serious this is. Regardless, God expects holiness from his people, and he does discipline. Now, does that mean that if we sin, we have to remember this. Let's, let's insert this for a moment. If we are in Christ, we are saved, we've been forgiven of our sin, past, present, future. But yet we still sin in this life, do we not? Let me see the saints not. 
We still sin in this life. Every day we have grace and mercy given to us by God, and thank God for that. Praise God for that. We have this given to us. If we sin against God, does that necessarily mean that we're going to die? No. But it does mean that we, as any good father would do, we may be disciplined for that sin, whatever that may look like according to God's perfect will. Second thing is this. God's priorities must be our priorities. God's priorities must be our priorities. Verses 4 and 5. Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel and the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp as Moses had said. These cousins of Nadab and Abihu are the ones that God directs to remove their bodies. Aaron could not move the corpses due to the fact that these dead bodies, according to the Levitical law, made it very uh, much uh, not allowed for him to be able to touch them. According to that law, it would make them ceremonially unclean. And God establishes the fact that being in the presence of dead bodies was unclean too, according to the Levitical law. Remember, Old Covenant. We see this later in Leviticus 21, and we'll see that as we journey there. But we may read this and think that God is being mean towards Aaron for not having the opportunity to take care of his son's body, to not be able to grieve. But as Kenneth Matthew says in his commentary, God was saying that Aaron must put his relationship with him first above all others. Aaron's spiritual priority was to remain holy in order to carry out his duties for the sake of the community. You may remember as Jesus is teaching in the Gospels, in Luke 9, 60, he says something that sounds a little bit like this. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. These people are coming to Jesus and they're wanting to follow after him, but they're giving excuses and Jesus is telling them, do this, leave the dead to bury their own dead. I must go and bury my father. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. He's talking in a spiritual sense there. He is telling him that the mission of following what God has called for is important. Now, does that mean that God doesn't want us to take care of those that we love? No, it doesn't mean that. Does that mean that God doesn't want us to be focused on burying those that maybe die that we love and care for? No, it doesn't mean that. It means, though, that there must be a priority system set in our life. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we've been called by God to live a life surrendered to him, and he gets that first priority. And then if you're married, men, your wife, women, your husband, your children, everything else. There must be a priority. God's priorities must be our priorities. Look at verse 6. Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, be well the burning that the Lord has kindled. Moses tells the priests there in that moment not to mourn in verse six, but to continue to minister as the priests. There will be a time for mourning for you, but in this moment, you must continue to carry out the duty that I have set you apart Four, the rest of the relatives mourn. Verse seven tells us, 
And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Do not, they, they could not be removed from their priestly duties because the anointing oil of the Lord was still upon them. To give you some context of what the nation was customary to doing at a time of mourning of a loved one, relatives would conduct this lament before the burial. And you can reference Genesis 30. You can go and look at that at another time. The lament itself was often accompanied with weeping, with wailing, with beating of the breast, and tearing of clothes. Grief. Pain. Again, not saying they could not grieve, but in this moment, they had to continue to carry out what God had called them to do. God's priorities must be our priorities. Third, God's mission requires attentiveness and focus on the word. God's mission requires attentiveness and focus on the word. Verses eight and nine. The Lord spoke to Aaron saying, now notice here, the whole time God has spoken to Moses, but here in this moment, he speaks to Aaron. The Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink. You have your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Excuse me. God knows, now specifically speaks to Aaron, and he tells Aaron that he nor his sons could drink any wine or strong drink when they came into the tent of meeting or else they would die. Why would God randomly put that there about drunkenness for the priest? Why would he do that? Well, one commentary suggested that it was because it was customary to ply mourners and others to distress to have them drink up to cheer and have that time of of having that to, to comfort them. But we also, I think we could all agree, if there's drunkenness, what happens when someone is drunk? There's a lack of clarity. There's a lack of focus. There's a lack of understanding. And here, God is directly talking to them about them being there in the tent while they're on duty for him. To not give in to this. The New Testament speaks of this issue of drunkenness and the sin that it is against God to to fall into drunkenness. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil, kind of an over-branching But then Ephesians 5, 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. In the specific example we see here of Leviticus, God is telling the priests that they are to not get drunk. Similarly, we see this in the qualifications for an elder or a pastor. In 1 Timothy 2, bless you, 2 through, excuse me, 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 3, Paul says, be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I know that I stand before you and I am not a priest, but I still am an elder of the church at Holmes Avenue. And in that same way, God is saying to not give in to drunkenness. I need to flee that in my life. I don't need that in my life. And I think it's fitting how Paul, in his writing with Timothy there, includes in those qualifications for an elder, he does say not a drunkard, but at the beginning of that, he says sober-minded. That can mean many things as far as being focused with your mind, but also if a person is given into drunkenness, they are not thinking clearly. Verse 10 tells us, 
You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. So there in verse 10, God continues reminding Aaron of their task as the priest. The priest's role was to make decisions and determine what is holy, what is common, what is clean, what is unclean. Again, mediating between the people and God. Verse 11, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. That is a very, very important verse. Because there in verse 11, they were responsible as mediators for the people to hear and handle what God wanted them to hear. They were to teach the people of Israel. Very similar to that of a pastor. You've been called by God and been set apart to teach the people the things that they need to hear from God. So what are some takeaways that we can see there from that little bit of section from 8 to 11? Well, obviously, elders, pastors in the church need to follow these qualifications that are set before them and not be drunkards and to teach the word. But what are some takeaways from an average, everyday Christian? You would say, well, I'm not a pastor, Brian, but I'm a Christian. What are some things that we could take away? Each and every one of us that are a Christ follower has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And because the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, Christ Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the one that has made it to where that Holy Spirit dwells. We are continually growing in our sanctification as we study the Word of God. And we are to live our lives set apart for the mission of God. Paul talks again in Romans 12, 1 and 2, saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We must live our lives as a living sacrifice before God. Doing what he has called us to do on his mission. Being set apart to do what it is that may look crazy to the world that's around us. But we love God. We live our lives sacrificially before him. And we love the people that are around us, pointing them to Christ. There's a major need for ministering to those who are spiritual infants in our congregation. We see there in that verse that they are to be teaching, to be exhorting the things of God, to be preparing and and giving the people the things that God says. If you're in our church and you would say that you are somewhat of a spiritually mature follower of Christ, you've been a Christian for some time, you are daily growing in your walk with Christ. We have people in our congregation that are new to the faith. We have people in our congregation that would say, I, not anything negative against himself, but hey, I would, I would identify myself as a spiritual infant. I need to be taught the things of God. I need to be taught the Bible. I need to understand it better. If you are someone in this church that you would say, I am spiritually mature, I would love to be able to come alongside somebody. You need to talk to me. Because we have many people in our church, I think, that would benefit greatly from you taking the time to study the word of God with them and point them to it. Lastly, God's mission must be fulfilled. God's mission must be fulfilled. Very quickly, I know we're running short on time. Verse 12, 
Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his surviving sons, take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar for it is most holy. Moses is instructing Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar to take the grain offering that was left out of the Lord's food offerings. This was the portion that was left for the priests themselves to consume for what they had already previously studied. We, we talked about this most recently over the last several weeks. Remember, this was a symbolic measure of doing a communion with God, having fellowship with God, having a meal with God. The fact that the grain was unleavened was critical because it underscored the purity of the offering. 13 says, you shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings for so I am commanded. Again, it needed to be eaten in a holy place. 14 and 15. But the breast that is weighed and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is weighed, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you as they do forever as the Lord commanded. We've seen previously the rest of the animal sacrifice must be eaten in a clean place. Look at 16 through 18. Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary since it, is, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I have commanded. Why is Moses freaking out on them at this point? Because Moses has literally just watched Nadab and Abihu die for their sin their blatant disobedience to God. And he sees them do this and he's like, why did you do this? Why? It's almost like this moment of you look at your kids. You look at your kids and you tell them not to do something. They blatantly do it anyway. And then you stand there and say, why did you do this? I told you not to do it. Amen. I got an amen. Thank you, sister. We have those moments and it's like, what are you doing? I told you not to do this. And I gotta be careful because my parents are sitting here. And they might give you examples of times where I've done that. Amen. There, my mama gave me an amen. There you go. Hallelujah. But we got that moment. And, you, and it's just like, why did you do this? You have to imagine. And if you're a parent, you've experienced that. But you have to imagine in that moment what Moses is feeling. Because he knows what can come for that. He witnessed it take place. But Moses is also looking at it through the lens of the fact that this is a sin against God. Why are you doing that? And we see here in verse 19, Aaron reply. Aaron, who just watched his sons die for their sin. Aaron said to Moses, behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. 
What's going on there, Brian? Aaron points out to Moses that this offering could not be carried out the way in which it normally was supposed to, commanded by God because it was already tainted by the unauthorized fire. So where Moses, I think, rightfully is caught up in the moment and seeing this sin that is being done before God, Aaron is there as the high priest. Imagine all that he's already experienced. And he points out to Moses, hey, if they would have done it the way they were supposed to do it, it had to be done without the unsanctioned fire, without the unauthorized fire. It had to be done the right way. So there in that moment, understanding that the strange fire compromised the fire, Moses hears it and he approves of what Aaron says. Kenneth Matthews says, what is significant here is that although the detail of the law was altered, Aaron's decision reflected the purpose of the law and received divine approval. The Lord has called spiritual leaders to each church. And in doing so, he has called those spiritual leaders to lead the people and to follow what God wants and desires of his people. And understand this fact. It is still worth noting that those people are still sinners in need of God's grace and mercy. Thankfully, we have our great high priest, King Jesus, who took the place of our sin on the cross, took our place, bearing our sin on his shoulders, I should say, taking the wrath of God in our place so that all who would repent of their sin and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in their heart that God resurrected him from the grave, they shall be saved. We talk about that every week. We point back to it every single week because it's the reality of why we are gathered right now. We are gathered right now in Holmes Avenue Baptist Church on a warm Sunday afternoon in 2021 because thousands of years ago, Christ Jesus conquered the grave and resurrected. We celebrate it in just about a month with Easter. Every single week, the church gathers to bring honor and glory to the one who mediated on our behalf once and for all so that we wouldn't have to go wandering in this life, wondering if we could make things right with God or if we would be made right with God, or wondering what in the world we're going to do because we don't have God. Christ Jesus paid our debt once and for all. Amen. So during this time, before we sing our last song, we do this every week. If you're new with us, this is just a moment for us just to have quiet reflection. We're not going to do anything weird, I promise. This is just a moment of quiet reflection. And just asking God in this moment, what are you telling me? What is it that you're telling me in this moment? From what I've heard today, what do you want me to know more about you? What is it maybe that you are calling me to do? For some of us, if you are a Christian, it may be that God is calling you to step out in faith and trust him with a job. For some of you, God may be calling you to step out in faith and trust him with sharing the gospel with that person that you've been praying for. 
For some of you, it may be saying, God, I know that you want me to serve you. Tell me what it is and I'll do it. For some of us here or watching online, it may be, I don't have a relationship with God. That needs to be the first step that I need to figure out what that means. And I would be honored to share that with you of what that means. I'm going to be up here. I'm going to be singing along with the band. You can come up here and you just pull me aside and we can talk. I can pray for you if you need prayer. I'll wear my mask. Or you can pull me aside afterwards. But let's take the time right now to quietly stop and reflect and ask God what he wants. There's a beautiful passage, and I won't read it to you. I'm just going to summarize it to you. There's a beautiful passage from 1 Samuel that, that I saw this week. And it's this moment where Samuel, before, not Samuel, uh, Solomon, before he is called, excuse me, before he is called, he keeps hearing the Lord's voice. He keeps hearing the Lord calling to him three different times. And then finally he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God speaks to him. I wonder if we need to stop amidst the distractions, letting it all fade away, and quietly just stop and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And see what he says. So let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that although we may missay things, God, you still work. It was Samuel that you spoke to in that moment. And Lord, I pray for each of us right now listening here and watching online, Lord, that we would say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Or as some translations say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Father, I don't know what you're saying to each person right now. I would be foolish to think that I would know that. But I do trust, Lord, that you are moving in this moment. I do trust, Lord, that you are in control of all things, sovereign God over all things, Lord, and that your perfect will will be done. So, Father, I pray right now over these brothers and sisters that are gathered before me in person and online. I pray over them and I ask, Father, that you would speak to them. You would make clear what it is that you are saying to them right now. Lord, for the one that knows you as Savior and Lord, I pray that they would walk in obedience to you. That they would truly present their body as a living sacrifice and do whatever it is that you're calling them to do. For the one that maybe does not know you, Lord, 
and you are speaking, but I pray that they would hear you. I pray that they would hear you. And Lord, if today is the day of salvation for them, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would cry out to you in repentance of sins and confession with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in their heart that you have resurrected him from the grave. If they're hearing you and maybe they're not at that point, Lord, but they want to know more, God, give them the boldness to ask. Whatever you want, Lord, I pray right now during these next few moments that you would have your way because you alone are deserving of that. We love you. We bless you. In Christ's own name we pray. Amen.